Hello, everyone. Thank you for coming today. It's great to see you all. I hope you have had a good lunch <laughs> and are all set. So um, my name is Chaitanya. I'm from the Amazon CloudFront team. I'll be joined by uh, Kome and Alexander, who are also uh, software development engineers on the CloudFront team. So you know, as you can see, the title is CloudFront Flash Talks. So we'll be talking about uh, a number of best practices on configuring, securing, customizing, and monitoring your distribution. So here's what you can expect from the session today. First, we'll start with you know, just a recap of how CloudFront delivers content. Um, many of you might be familiar with this. This is just uh, setting the stage for uh, things to come, which would be starting with, uh, you know, we'll start diving into some of the cache configurations that you can set up. And this is useful uh, because depending on the type of content that you're serving, you can, you know, you can have different configurations uh, for CloudFront. And then uh, Alexander will be covering some aspects about uh, customizing content delivery. And this, this would be you know, using uh, Lambda at Edge to be able to program your content delivery in a powerful and flexible manner. <laughs> Last but not the least, Kome will be sharing some insights into real user monitoring and how you can um, get or record some performance metrics to be able to gauge your actual user experience. So with that, let's jump straight in into how CloudFront delivers content. So of course, we have the viewers who are, uh, you know, who have different devices. It could be desktops or mobile phones or tablets or multiple devices. And these user agents uh, are, so when a customer needs to access a resource, you know, generally, here we're talking about accessing that from CloudFront. So to start with, there is a DNS lookup and a name resolution. Uh, without going into details about all of the steps involved, so this reaches a CloudFront Edge location, which returns the IP address of an Edge server. Now, once this is returned to the user agent, uh, you know, this now sets up a connection to that Edge server. So in this case, the connection has to be set up first before a request can be made. Um, you know, in, in the best case, where the content is cacheable and this is already available at the edge location, it's returned right from there. Uh, however, this does not happen when it's the first ever request made for that content. So in this case, when the request lands at an edge location, or it's it's checked in the cache there. If that's not available, it then uh, you know, goes through the next layers that are present. So first, it's checked in the regional uh, edge cache. So regional edge cache are uh, you know, common to multiple edge locations. Now, and these have a larger cache width than any individual edge location. So, so let's say you have a viewer like uh, in New York, who's accessing content, and another viewer in Boston who's accessing the content. So they talk to the same regional edge cache because it's common uh, to that region. So the content is reused, and this also reduces your origin load. So talking about origins, 
So you can configure CloudFront with many different origins. So that could be your Amazon S3 buckets. It could be your Amazon EC2 instances, or uh, it could be your own custom server that you know, you've hosted anywhere of your choice. So once the content is retrieved from the origin, it's then cached, you know, both at the regional edge cache and the edge locations, and then finally returned to the viewer. So that's just a quick uh, you know, run through of how CloudFront delivers content. We'll be touching upon different aspects of this. To start with uh, is the cache configuration. So there are many uh, types of content that are delivered for websites and applications. So you have static content, dynamic content. You can also categorize it you know, based on like live streaming content or video on demand. There are also sites uh, which need you know, authentication and authorization in some form. So but common to all of this is that you know, we need good performance. But why does performance even matter? So better performance brings about a lot of things. So it can increase the number of page views. It can uh, you know, generally lead to better customer experience and engagement on your website or in other web properties. It leads to a higher uh, conversion rate, which directly you can translate to revenues. And also, you know, it can help gain better visibility because uh, you know, for SEO or search engine optimization, even site speed is considered. So later in the uh, talk, Komei will be covering some more aspects about how do you measure the overall performance. Um, but to start with, I'm going to focus on cache performance. So cache performance uh, depends mainly on two things. One is whether the object is present in the edge location's cache. And the other is you know, what's the nature of the connection both between the viewer and CloudFront and also between CloudFront to your origin. So I've, I mentioned this term object a few times. Let's just uh, define it a little more concretely. So an object is identified by some properties of the request plus some properties uh, that are determined by the configuration of your distribution. So you might have set the configuration through the console or uh, through the uh, CloudFront API. Uh, but taking both of those into account, when a request arrives at a CloudFront edge location, it has a configuration. And using these pieces, it creates an object key or a cache key, which is an identifier for that uh, object. So when multiple customers request the same object, we know what to look for. Now, uh, one way of you know, categorizing these objects is uh, you know, pertinent to how long they exist in the cache is by their uh, TTLs. So you can have static, long-lived objects. These can be things such as uh, software downloads. It can be images or you know, other media resources, which is fragments or manifests. So these typically have a high TTL value as the content does not change too often. So uh, many a times when you want to update even this piece of content, uh, it, you know, it's just better to use a versioning approach where 
you just upload a new version and ensure that your clients request that. Uh, CloudFront does support invalidations, but you, know, you might not want to go through uh, those steps. The next is the static short-lived content. So this is, uh, you know, for example, some landing pages which are updated periodically. It could be some news updates or weather updates. And in the case of uh, you know, media streaming, it is, for example, live streaming manifest. So these have you know, fairly low TTL, and this is updated uh, periodically. So the way CloudFront works with, uh, you know, once the object has expired in the cache, it does a revalidation with the origin. And this, this is basically an if modified since or if none match check, uh, depending on the case. And then, um, you know, if the origin says the content has changed, then, uh, you know, it returns the new version and CloudFront catches that, caches that new version. And lastly, there is some uh, content which is also uncacheable, uh, or it's, you know, always updated, always needs to be the freshest, freshest version. So this is, uh, you know, the one that's updated frequently, or it could be, you know, unique at a point in time based on the request. Uh, so these can have a very low or even a zero TTL uh, that you can assign to it. So I've mentioned this TTL a few times. Uh, it's time to live. But how can you actually set this? To start with, you can set this at your origins for, on a per-object basis using cache control headers. So here's a couple of examples, one for a high TTL where you've set the max age to a, a year and the S max age to a day. Uh, so then you have the low TTL where you have, again, a, you know, just a minute uh, that's assigned. So in some cases, you might not have the options to set this at your origin. Uh, what you do in that case is you can use uh, the cache behavior configuration where you, are, you have the options of setting the min, max, and the default TTL values. You can also use this to override uh, you know, the ones that are present at your origin. Next, what helps uh, cacheability is to have fewer variants. So there are cases where you want to uh, change the content based on certain query string factors, uh, cookies, and selected request headers. So uh, you know, generally, and the defaults that are in your CloudFront is to use none none of these factors, but for customization purposes, you, want, you may want to use uh, some, some of them. So in, in the general case, uh, you know, if you have less variance, it helps the cacheability, but you have options of whitelisting certain subsets of these. Um, and uh, you know, I'm happy to talk about them uh, if you want to catch up uh, after the session. Uh, so you have choices of doing that to help Cacheability. Oh, just a quick note, I notice a lot of uh, folks taking pictures. This is going to be uploaded online and it will be available for viewing. So uh, feel free to also stop by the CloudFront booth for any questions you might have. Next, dynamic content. So here um, we're also looking at the request going back to the origin frequently since it's a low TTL object. So you can, again, set this through cache control headers with 
you know, a max age zero and a no cache, no store. Um, so these can, in fact, actually be stored at the edge when you don't specify no store. Um, what this helps with is your, if your object hasn't changed, CloudFront runs a lightweight uh, you know, revalidation against your origin, and uh, this helps speed things up. So, but in case that you don't want CloudFront to even cache this, you can specify a private no store, and um, you, you can also pick all as the value for cache based on selected headers in your uh, CloudFront distribution configuration. Now, all of this, you know, serving the content is uh, the happy case, but uh, you can see that there's, you know, different examples of these headers that you can set for different types of content. So this uh, determines how long this is uh, cached at uh, the edge cache as well as uh, the browser cache of the user agents. Now, talking about some of the failure cases that happen where, you know, sometimes the origin is uh, overloaded or unreachable, then in that case, CloudFront can still help the availability of your content, and we allow you to customize the error caching in TTL. So CloudFront can also, you know, not only cache the content themselves, but we can also cache errors so that uh, you can manage your origin load and allow the origin enough time to recover. So um, there are various uh, different error codes that you can customize, and you can customize the TTL for this, as well as you know, add error pages and the response code. So this is, uh, so depending on the value that you set for the error caching minimum TTL, CloudFront also determines when to revalidate uh, or recheck with your origin. So for some content that's frequently changing, you might want to set this to a low value, especially like take a popular video goes viral, um, and uh, you know thousands of viewers come to view that. You don't want all of them getting a huge spike of errors, so you want to set the error caching minimum TTL to a low value. But on the other hand, if you have some resource that you know is never available, it's a 404. You know, just cache it at the edge so that that never hits your origin, and your origin does not have to deal with that load. So also, if the object is in cache and the origin is unreachable, CloudFront can even deliver the stale content. So your viewers are left with a better experience of at least having some uh, content that's delivered to them and not just an error. Now, I've spoken a lot about the objects, but also what matters is the connection that exists. So start, to start with, first of the viewer connection, when a connection uh, is set up, first there's a TCP handshake between the viewer or the user agent in CloudFront. So we can see that you know, there's the TCP handshake that takes place, which is the SYN, SYNAC, and a NAC. And only after this is when a request and response uh, uh, happens, the HTTP part. So what helps in this case is to you know, reuse connections using Keep Alive, and this helps reduce the time to actually set up the connection 
and reduces the initial latency that the viewer sees. Now, a lot of things are uh, you know, moving to a more secure world where you want the channel between the viewer and CloudFront to be secured. And in that case, there's also a TLS handshake that comes into place where the last act also has a client hello. So you know, I'm just going to go through this a bit quicker because the messages are exchanged. And then after this is when the HTTP request and response can actually occur. So the key takeaway here is that you know, it, it takes time for uh, a, a few messages to be exchanged before the actual request and response happens. So this is important to keep, keep in mind. And that's why reusing connections is important. The other is you can actually reduce the amount of data that's transmitted by using compression. So you can enable gzip compression at your distribution um, you know, cache behaviors. And that, again, can improve performance and user experience. Next, HTTP2. So you know, CloudFront uh, announced support for this in the past year. Uh, this brings about many benefits, uh, and HTTP2 is a large topic. So the key points that I do want to call out is that the HTTP request and response are, are multiplexed. So in this case, you saw that there's a request made and a response made that's kind of uh, serialized. But this can be multiplexed in the HTTP use case where uh, multiple requests and responses can be in flight at the same time. So this further helps uh, parallelism, and you, know, you can get different resources over the same connection in a faster manner. The other one that HTTP2 also brings is header compression using HPAC. So this is uh, you know, a picture of the viewer connection. Next is the origin connection. So you know, as before, the, uh, this connection again, has to go through the same set of process. Uh, but for the TLS, uh, what I do want to call out is that CloudFront also supports using session tickets to resume connections, which can reduce the time to set up even uh, the HTTPS connection. And this is also on the viewer side. Uh, I'm just only showing it here on the origin side. Uh, and this, again, brings about the same request and response behavior that I just covered. So what also helps here is you know, even compression at the origin helps performance between CloudFront and your origin and helps deliver the content faster to your viewers. Additionally, uh, CloudFront allows customizing origin timeouts, uh, which is both your read timeout and the keep alive timeout. To, so because depending on how your application is set up, some transactions may take longer, where you might want a higher timeout in place. Uh, but in other cases, you might not want a high timeout to avoid you know, excessive connections building up at the origin. So that is configurable uh, today in CloudFront. So uh, you know, I would encourage you to take a look at that. So with this, uh, you know, this concludes the session, a section on uh, cache configuration. So the key takeaways are you know, set TTLs based on the type of objects that are being delivered. Uh, also consider errors when uh, the content is being delivered so that you consider the failure cases. Reuse viewer connections for improved uh, performance. 
and you know enable compression if you can for both the viewer side and the origin side. Consider HTTP2 if that works for your application. And the, there are a number of things to look at uh, and test out, but we definitely that's useful for using fewer connections to you know for the request and response. And lastly, you know configure timeouts based on what. Uh, works for your applications. Thank you. I'll just hand it over to Alexander, who's going to talk about how you can further customize content delivery using Lambda Edge. Hello, everyone. My name is Alexander, and I'm from CloudFront Lambda Edge team. I see that we have full house today. Nice. It doesn't happen often when you play poker, I guess. Um, so, Chitana has just explained the basics of how Amazon CloudFront works and how we can configure it to serve different types of content. But what if the existing set of configuration parameters is not enough to meet the needs of your customers? How do you tailor a CloudFront distribution to meet unique and maybe specific requirements of your web application? This is what Lambda Edge is designed for. So Lambda, with all its benefits, is a regional service. And CloudFront is a global one with about 100 locations around the world. And Lambda Edge brings these two services together. You write a Lambda function once, and when you configure CloudFront to invoke it, the function magically gets globally replicated so that CloudFront can invoke that function at AWS location closest to your viewer. With Lambda Edge, you program CloudFront, not just configure it. So before we go any further and dive into some of the use cases, let's first see what CloudFront events can trigger execution of a Lambda function. Here's the standard event flow. So first, a viewer HTTP request lands at the closest edge location. CloudFront triggers view request event. In the function triggered by view request event, you can modify the properties of the request. For example, those that are included in the cache key. You can optimize, or normalize the query string or user agent for better cache heat ratio. Then CloudFront checks if the object is already in the cache. And if it is, it should be immediately returned back to the viewer. But right before CloudFront does so, it triggers view response event. And this gives you opportunity to customize that response for that particular viewer, for that particular request. And uh, these are the only two events that are triggered for the cache hit case. And given the, your content is cacheable, that's the majority of traffic here. So let's see what happens in case, in case of cache miss. View request is triggered the same way as before. Then CloudFront checks whether the object is in the cache. And if it's not currently in the cache, maybe it should be refreshed. Or the request is not cacheable at all. For example, post a put request. CloudFront sends a request to your origin. But right before CloudFront does so, it triggers origin request event. And this is the perfect place to modify the request 
so that it so that integrates better with your origin. When origin sends back the response, CloudFront triggers origin response event, and here you can modify the response so that it's stored in the cache, and CloudFront can serve the modified response next time without invoking the Lambda function. And last, view response is invoked exactly the same as for the cache hit case. So when you are about to use Lambda Edge, the first thing you need to do is to decide what event type to use. Here I'm just summarizing what I have just said about the events side by side, but I also would like to add a couple of common use cases. So for viewer events, common use cases include cache key optimization, authentication and access control, and pure viewer content customization. For origin-facing events, the use cases are wider class content customization, for example, uh, desktop versus mobile traffic segregation, better integration with your origin, and content generation. You can set up any combination of these events to be triggered for your request to meet the needs of your particular use case. So sometimes it may be unclear which event type to use, and our recommendation in this case first to see if your use case can be solved with origin-facing events, because such approach allows you to leverage CloudFront cache and minimize the number of Lambda function invocations, thus reducing both latency and cost. So let's dive deeper into some of the use cases. And the first one is security. And that's the, always uh, the top priority. In modern web, Many security features are implemented and enforced by web browsers. And such, cl such uh, client-side security features are usually enabled and configured by response headers sent from the web servers, which of course run in the cloud. So how, does, how can Lambda Edge help here? Here is the list of some security headers and what they are used for. Maybe it looks scary, but don't worry, I'm not going through this list in detail right now. So what's important here, that often, origin servers do not include all security headers that you may want to send to your clients. In this case, you need to add these security headers yourself. Luckily, it turns out that enabling security features and adding such headers is the simplest use case for Lambda Edge. And it is the perfect example for the origin response event trigger. Here is how Lambda Edge function may look like that adds some security headers. I won't go into much details about Node.js programming model, which we use when you write Lambda function. But the essence here is that we define a handler that takes event object as input. And given this function, is associated with origin response event trigger, this event will contain the response that CloudFront received from your origin. And this response object has headers. And we add two more headers in this case. We add a strict transport security header to enforce HTTPS. And we add X frame options header to disallow embedded frames. So you just add headers by specifying key value pairs. 
You can also delete headers if you like. For example, in this case, we can delete course headers, restricting it to the default same origin security policy. And at last, at the end of your Lambda function, you pass the modified response back to CloudFront using the callback function. At this step, CloudFront will handle your modified response as if it is received from the origin. It will store it in the cache as well. Next, uh, let's take a look at the content customization scenarios. Say your web application have viewers of two, type, two types, desktop and mobile, client A and client B. Both types of viewers request the object using exactly the same URI path. Now you want to deliver content which is optimized for a certain client type so that customers can enjoy the best possible experience. How do you do that? Normally, uh, for something like this, you would handle such customization logic at your origin, or maybe some kind of the proxy fleet. Lambda Edge can help you with this case as well. With Lambda Edge, origin can be as simple as a three bucket. So in order to segregate traffic for content customization, you need some sort of classification condition. And generally speaking, there are two cases, when the classification condition can be a part of the cache key and when it cannot. So let's start with the first case when the classification condition can be a part of the cache key. For example, it can be a viewer device type, viewer country. CloudFront can add such headers for you. It can also be query string parameter, cookie, or any other header, or maybe you can have some custom logic depending on the combination of these. So to customize the content, you first add this classification condition to the cache key so that multiple objects will be stored in the cache depending on the client type. Second, you can write the origin request function that modifies the request. For example, it can rewrite URI or it can set the origin domain name that serves the optimized content. After that, you don't need any extra logic on your origin side. It can be just a simple three bucket that serves the optimized object. In this case, uh, depending on the path, desktop or mobile, and that's it. So S3 sends two objects back, they're cached separately in CloudFront cache, and then delivered to your viewers, which enjoy best possible experience on their device type. There are also cases when the classification condition cannot be a part of the cache key. For example, you may need to perform authorization of the request before the cache lookup. Or the classification condition itself can be unique per viewer. For example, depending on the user agent or an IP address, thus it's unlikely that such request will have a cache hit in the future. In this case, you can evaluate the classification condition in the view request function. In the example diagram here, we intercept the request before it hits CloudFront cache. We make a call to remote authorization API, and then we rewrite URI so that it's cached separately. If the authorization fails, we can reject the request, 
We can redirect it to the, say, login page, or we can serve some free, customized, the free version of the requested object. And if the authorization succeeds, we can serve the full premium content. So, S3 returns the requested free or premium object. It's stored in the cache separately in CloudFront, and then you receive the content that they have paid for. Here, in this kind of setup, I would like to note that with the call to remote API, it takes time. And while you're calling remote API, the processing of the request by CloudFront is blocked. So in this case, you may want to consider replicating your API to multiple regions to minimize the overall latency. Now let's talk about whole group of use cases. Say your web application has a global presence and origins in multiple regions. You may want, in this case, to minimize the latency by going to the origin which is closest to your viewer. Or, on the other hand, you may have some sort of data sovereignty requirements, and you may want, like your European clients, to go to European origin, even if they send such requests from outside the Europe. You may have multiple origins, and each one serves optimized content, and you want to route requests to the right origin. You may also need to perform controlled origin deployments, A-B testing, or migration from one origin to another while preserving sticky sessions. All these cases and many other are covered now with Lambda Edge origin selection feature. In Lambda function triggered by origin request event, you can select the origin CloudFront forwards the request to. And here is how the Lambda function code may look like. So in this example, assume you have multiple origins and their domain names have region name in it. So with some custom logic that I left out of this code snippet, you can select the region, say, depending on the viewer, of, uh, viewer country of, or closest AWS region, or maybe some other properties of the request. Next, we define origin domain name, say, my origin in this particular region.com. And next, we update the request origin domain name for CloudFront, and we also update the host header to match that domain name. And that's it. So you pass the modified request back to CloudFront, and CloudFront will send this request to the origin that you have specified. So we are excited about this feature, and would like to hear back from you how you use this kind of flexibility in your web applications. So choosing the closest origin with dynamic origin selection feature is great, but it requires multiple origins to be there so that you can choose one in the first place. So it requires replicating origin infrastructure to multiple regions. With Lambda Edge using view request or origin request functions, you can generate responses and content from AWS location closest to a viewer without the burden of replicating origin infrastructure, or even without any origins at all for that matter. So here is the list of use cases solved by Lambda Edge 
um, response generation functionality. You can respond with uh, HTTP redirects. For example, your clients send requests to old URI, which is no longer available. And in this case, you may want to redirect them to the new location. You can generate dynamic content by fetching the state from Amazon CloudFront Cache or maybe from some other replicated AWS resource, for example, S3 bucket or replicated DynamoDB table. You can generate content by aggregating it from multiple sources. You can generate customized content that depends on the properties of the request, such as cookies, country, device type, user agent, you name it. So, and here's the cool part. For each single request, you can choose whether you generate response immediately or you pass it back to CloudFront for the cache lookup and maybe go into your origins. So uh, I would like to mention that uh, there is a breakout session called Building Serverless Websites with Lambda Edge this Friday, dedicated to this topic alone. And I encourage you either to attend it or watch YouTube video if you are interested more in this topic. But I would like to just show you two code examples how we can use this feature. So the first one is uh, the example that demonstrates how you can either pass the request further to CloudFront for the cache lookup and go into your origin or return the response immediately. This use case is similar to the one that I mentioned before. So here you perform some kind of custom authorization with perform custom auth function, which is up to you to implement, and it highly depends on your web application. But, for example, if the authorization fails and returns an error, we can log it and then build the response object, in this case, 302 redirect, and we can redirect the user to the login page. So we pass, in this case, we pass the response back to CloudFront. Otherwise, if authorization succeeded, we can just pass the unchanged request object back to CloudFront so that CloudFront can make the cache lookup or reach out to your origin. Pretty simple. And the last Lambda Edge code snippet for today is the example of origin request function that generates HTML page by aggregating content from multiple sources. First, we fetch HTML template and some data from DynamoDB table. Notice that here we do it asynchronously in parallel using the async Node.js module. Again, uh, I'm leaving out this um, get HTML template and get data from DynamoDB functions implementations out of this school snippet to make it like fit in one slide. But it's pretty easy to implement these functions as well. Like to get data from CloudFront, you just send standard HTTP request to CloudFront cache. Or to get data from DynamoDB table, you can use AWS Node.js SDK. So when both these pieces are fetched successfully, we fall to this uh, last block of this function. In this case, we build HTTP 200 response with HTML payload based on the request properties HTML template that we fetched, and data from DynamoDB table. And at last, we pass this uh, response with HTML body 
back to CloudFront using the callback function. Very powerful and flexible Lambda Edge feature. All right. So let's summarize all of this. Lambda Edge makes CloudFront a truly programmable CDN. We encourage you to go beyond static configurations. Program CloudFront to meet the specific needs of your web application with Lambda Edge functions. Select the event type carefully. Think about the associated trade-offs. First, see if your use case can be solved with origin-facing functions to leverage CloudFront cache. And if you are doing it in viewer-facing functions, try to minimize overall functional execution time. Generate content with Lambda Edge. Simplify or replace your origins with Lambda Edge functions. Think serverless, in our case, becomes think originless. Okay? I hope that wasn't too much for a flash talk. And next, Kamei will talk about real user monitoring. Thank you. Uh, hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Komei from a uh, developer from CarFund team. Uh, Alexander just gave us many examples how we can expand our application. Uh, no matter what types of application we have, we care about the performance of our application. Uh, more precisely, we care about our customer experience. So today, in the last section of this session, I would like to talk about how you measure uh, application performance with real user monitoring. Uh, specifically, I will cover synthetic monitoring as opposed to real user monitoring and uh, different usage cases of different monitoring, including when to use one over the other. And also, I will cover what to measure when you're measuring the content downloading for different cases. So what is synthetic monitoring? You can think of synthetic monitoring as you artificially generating some traffic to either your origin or CDN to determine if your application is available or if the performance is good enough. Uh, so this goes to the different paths as your uh, usual users going through. A simple example of synthetic monitoring is that you spin up uh, EC2 instances in different regions, then configure a cron job to periodically make requests to your application. Then aggregating those data to determine your performance and availability of your application. So what are use cases for such a monitoring? You can get consistent health status of your application. That's the first one. And also, you can get baseline performance about your application before you're launching a new feature or you're launching an application in your new region. When you're launching a new feature or in a new region, you don't have real user data available. In such a case, the synthetic monitoring will be very helpful to provide you a baseline performance or baseline data for your application. Another example about synthetic monitoring is you can configure the request to test a specific path of your application so that you can monitor a critical feature of your application. In that case, when you have anything wrong with your application, you can determine where exactly things are going wrong when that critical feature is not functional. In CloudFront, we use synthetic monitoring as well to monitor health and performance of our edge locations. 
this provides us a great visibility when we bring a, <coughs> when we have a new edge locations so that we know if that new edge locations is available or have expected performance for to serve customer traffic. Though we can use sensor monitoring to improve our service, there is cases that sensor monitoring will fail. So now let's talk about typical failure cases when sensor monitoring goes wrong. Uh, in this example I'm describing here, we have five endpoints that we are setting the sensor monitoring from to measure application availability. Now the problem with this is you are only testing what you know about your application. There's no way that you can enumerate every cases that your user is actually using your application. So if you look at the user here, he's reaching to your application from South America. And your monitoring from around the world is showing that your application is 100% available. However, in reality, he has no connectivity to reach out to your application. You're not going to detect this because you have nothing running in the same location as your user is reaching from your application. So some of the failure cases we can see here is that for synthetic monitoring is that the network path uh, your user is experiencing is completely different from the monitoring service you have. To address what synthetic monitoring fails, we can use RAM. In CloudFront, we really rely on the uh, real user monitoring because that's the real indication how our customer is using CloudFront and how, what the performance and availability they are getting. With RAM, you generally have a script injected in your web pages that uh, measures or timing various stages of your request. Then those information about the session will be sent back to some aggregation layer to provide a, a stats for you to analyze. With RAM, you can measure all aspects of your request and all aspects of your customer experience. With those data, you can have better understandings where your bottleneck is for your application or where, whether you have an ability to drop for partial customers that share some common attributes. One use cases of uh, RAM at CloudFront is that in CloudFront, we measure latency between our end users' network to our edge locations. Then we use that data to route our end user to best edge location. So, and this process is done in a real time fashion. So say we have an end user reaching to our edge location from Australia, and that there is a, some network congestion that affects the latency between this end user to our edge location. In that case, our system will detect this and then find up route this end user to another edge location that has better latency or better network connectivity. So there's another session uh, talking about how CloudFront do this in real time and in more details. So if you have, uh, if you have interested in that, I suggest you go to that session as well. Let's go back to our topic. So far, I've talked about what are the differences between system monitoring and RAM, and there are different usage cases. Now let's talk about how, if you're implementing it yourself, what are the metrics that you can look at? Or what are the metrics that are important or what metrics are not important? So let's take a look at this example here. So this is a random request, a connection portion random request made from web browser. And 
if you look at here, the queuing store blocking time is generally a tracking time for a proxy request. And it's very low here, so probably not much to optimize here. The same as DNS lookup, uh, one millisecond is very low, which means the client most likely already have the result cached in their local resolver. The interesting thing here is if we look at the initial connection time, uh, the initial connection time, including TCP handshake and SSL negotiations, is taking more than 90% of the connection time. Now let's look further into the entire request. Here we have the request send time, which is the time it takes for a browser to send the request. And also we have time to first byte. And content download time, which essentially is time to last byte. So the small value here for the content download time indicates that this is request is for a small object. The findings here is that initial connection time, including SSO negotiations, are taking 60% of the total download time. And time to first byte, which is RTTs, uh, makes up 30% of the total request time. This means most of the request time is spent on connection and the RTTs. So what this tells us is, for small objects, it, it is important to look at the connection time and the RTTs value. So if you have an application that serves many small objects, like index pages, you want to optimize HTTP connection and improve RTTs. How do you do it? As Chatanya explained earlier, we can reuse the HTTP connection by either uh, keep longer, keep alive time to send a sequential request over single connection, or we can use HTTP2 to send a parallel request over single connection. Also, to improve RTTs, it is important for you to know that where your user is, so that you can serve your content as close as to your end user. Now let's look at a different example. This is a measurement for downloading fragment of video streaming. As you can see, it almost didn't spend time on connection because the content was sent over our already established connection. Instead, more than 90% of the request time is spent on content downloading. So what we can get from here is, for streaming object, SSO negotiations are not that important. Instead, it is important to look at content download time, which translates into throughput. The throughput has most <coughs> impact on the quality of the video your customer is seeing. And also, if you cannot fill the buffer fast enough, your customers will see a rebuffering. So as an optimization for the video streaming, you probably want to look at the congested window setup or the server throughput setup. Lastly, here are a few best practices for monitoring your applications. First of all, use both synthetic monitoring and real user monitoring, if possible, because they have different pros and cons. While synthetic monitoring provides you a general view of your application, the RAM will provide you wide coverage of your customer experience. Then, when measuring the metrics, make sure you measure the 90th percentile values because for most applications, the average or uh, 50 percentile values are not much different so that your users or customers are not realize the difference between different services. 
Instead, the 90th, 90th percentile values are the, what makes your application different from others. When measuring availability, make sure you test your critical resources. For in the case of the website, make sure you test monitoring your index page or the user sign function if that's important. In the case of video streaming, make sure you monitor the video manifest file because without the manifest file, you cannot get the know where the fragment is to serve your video content. When measure the performance, uh, make sure you know the, where your user is or your user's test. So, so that you, you, know, you can <coughs> serve your content from the closest place that, to your end user. Also, your, know your data. As we've seen in the example of the video streaming, it is not always important that you have a better SSO, SSO negotiations time or the first byte latency is not always the most important thing. Lastly, use CloudFront. We are CDN, we are global. We can uh, measure the latency between the end users to your application and route the users to the best edge locations and improve performance for you. That's it for the uh, user monitoring. So as a summary for today's session, we have talked about how to configure your caching uh, based on different use cases. Also, Alexander covers you can use Lambda Edge to uh, expand your application for different, uses, for different use cases as well. And lastly, uh, we covered how you measure your user, real user experience for different use cases as well. And thank you for coming.